Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reframe Your Brain. Starting with episode 11, Danielle Kent and I are doing something different. Each week, we'll be sharing conversations with a variety of people talking about what they're reframing in this challenging and pivotal time of COVID-19. If you want to share a story about something that you're reframing, reach out to us on Instagram at Reframe Your Brain. Today, I'm super excited to be talking with my friend Rocky Kelly, who's an audiologist and a researcher. Here's what she has to share about reframing a number of unexpected situations that have come up for her in the last couple of weeks. All right. Hi, Rocky. Hi, Leah. Um, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit for our listeners? <laughs> of course. Thank you. Um, my name is Rocky Kelly. I am an audiologist most of the time and also a researcher. Um, I work for a large healthcare organization in Vermont. Um, and that's my introduction. That's perfect. So Rocky, before I turned on the record button, we were just talking about headsets. And I was remembering that you had said there was something in particular that you were reframing. Um, and that that was I had forgotten that you'd mentioned that. So if you want to start by sharing whatever that was, that would be great. Of course. So um, we're recording this now a month after um, kids were sent home from, or school was canceled because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. It's April um, 3rd. April 3rd right now. Mm -hmm. um, and shortly thereafter in my um, ENT clinic, we started canceling patients that were considered um, non-essential visits. So any patient who had a visit for something that was not an emergency or stitches coming out or bleeding, um, we just called them and said, we're going to postpone your visit until we figure out what's going on. Um, and of course, that expanded and has continued. Um, and one of the consequences of that and what happened right before I got your email saying, what are you reframing, um, was my new supervisor, who, by the way, started in my clinic on March 9th. So just oh, wow. imagine, just imagine what that must be like for her as a manager to start working with a whole new team of people in a whole new system right now. Wow. <laughs> Um, in the middle of COVID-19. So she was still trying to get her bearing and figure out how our organization works and figure out how to work with her boss and her team. Um, and word came down from the organization that in clinics where we were having to cancel patients, we were also going to have to ask staff, where um, they were going to lay off staff, basically. Um, and so that was the message that I got right at the same time that I got an email from you, Leah, saying, what are you reframing in your life? <laughs> and I, that explains, yeah. that explains uh, your response so, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I responded basically saying, I don't know what the hell I can say that's going to be positive or uplifting because at that time it felt like, um, well, I had a lot of complicated feelings around that, and we can circle back to that in a second. Sure. But um, 
almost the very next day, um, and I'm, I think you can hear my voice. I've got like a little bit of a tremble mm-hmm. going on. It was a really like anxiety provoking time. And For sure. I mean, understandably, um, it'd be kind of strange it, if it weren't, maybe. Yeah, Although it was off once before, and I was so excited to be laid off, but it was a very different circumstance. But I can well, understand that this, like, just the, the bigger picture, first of all, the bigger picture sets like a very different scene for why this is happening. And I wonder too about that. But go ahead, keep going. And I can imagine a time I wrote that being laid off would be exciting. And I remember when you were laid off and you had a lot of other things that you wanted to be doing outside of that current Mm -hmm. role. My experience of being told that I would be laid off actually let me understand um, just a lot of how I view my value in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just about that I would be laid off and what would we do for healthcare and what were we going to do financially? And I was really hurt that it was, that I felt like all of the ways that I add value to the organization other than testing patients hearing, which is what my paid job really is, um, felt like none of the other ways that I contribute were going to be recognized and that I wasn't even going to have an opportunity to basically participate in the response to a health emergency because audiologists don't count as health professionals, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was really, it was just really difficult and insulting um, and challenged my whole idea of like, what, what is my role? Where do I fit in? So the first, when I thought I was going to be laid off first, I was like, um, hurt. And then I was like, okay, well, this is, I definitely need to go find somewhere else where I can really contribute value. Um, this isn't where I'm meant to be. And then the very next day, um, my boss said, oh, that outline of all the things that you wanted to work on. Um, my boss, her, let me explain this differently. And I'm just also thinking like, you know, Leah, you can edit the sound of this. We could work on that. You could cut out any of the parts that sound rambly and weird. So I'm going to pretend. <laughs> so that's I don't, funny that you I, mentioned that. I, for the most part, when, um, when I've recorded podcasts and when Danielle Kent and I have reported, recorded podcasts in the past, I'll edit like the beginning and the end a little bit because sometimes those transitions are extra awkward and rough. Um, <laughs> But generally, when I go back and I've, I initially I started, I would go back and listen to the episodes because I would be like horrified about what did I actually say that I'm not remembering and that I'm going to share with whoever's listening. And after I did that a couple of times, I realized like 99% of it was fine. And if that 1% <laughs> really bothered somebody, I didn't really care. So that's so, fabulous. <laughs> So if there's, if I can absolutely edit things out, I generally <laughs> don't bother. So no worries about rambling. I'm, you've listened to some of the podcasts that Danielle and I have recorded and, you know, it is a loosely organized conversation. So and that is part of the invitation is to really just talk. Yeah. I, and I have enjoyed listening to the podcasts. <laughs> Thank so, you. Um, 
what it is that I was, what it is that I was just now trying to explain without giving enough context <laughs> was as soon as we started canceling clinic patients, I I started making a list of all the things that I wanted to work on now that I was going to have a little bit of downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I brought that to the meeting with my new supervisor when she was saying, I'm being told that I need to tell people to cut their hours or that they you know, were going to lay people off. Mm-hmm. So the end of my meeting with her was, well, we're going to cut your hours in half, which puts me below the threshold for receiving health benefits. Mm-hmm. And the very next day, she came back to me and said that her boss, the assistant director of my department, thought everything on my list was really valuable and wanted me to go ahead and um, work on those things. None of which I have been able to start because they said, oh, and also we want you to be the telehealth lead for the site. Oh, wow. Yeah, which means that I'm getting three surgeons, two nurses, and three scheduling staff all trained and up and running on um, using Zoom, Mm. not the publicly available Zoom, but a a private contract with the medical center that is HIPAA compliant. so using Zoom to see patients for telehealth visits and wow, getting that. And I'm not doing that all by myself. The organization sure. is supporting that. Um, so they're you know, getting the technology set up. Um, but the workflows and training and supporting and getting everybody ready to go um, is what I've been working on pretty much nonstop since, wow. I guess, a week ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And like, yeah, That's it's been a, it's rocking. been a lot. <laughs> um, and the thing that I'm really, the thing that I'm most proud of and that I want to brag about a little bit, um, because we may not be able to come back to it or we may not choose to come back to it is, um, I, um, I think I've got almost all the bugs worked out. Um, we're going to be able to provide remote captioning services for participants who are hard of hearing and who use English um, to read the captions of mm-hmm. their healthcare visit so that they're um, able to fully participate yeah. in televideo visits. Um, even if their hearing ability is not great or even if their audio quality and their hearing ability combined make mm-hmm. it so that they can't really hear clearly. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really exciting. It's really, I'm, I, I'm really excited. I'm not sure how much buy-in I'll actually get from providers and schedulers because there are extra steps needed mm. to make that happen. Um, although the client can actually make that happen on them on their own. Hold on, I'm going to cough. I muted that was, myself. For that, that was coffee. very, that was very slick. You're like, hold on while I mute and then cough and then <laughs> yeah. unmute. <laughs> I don't have that capability. I mean, I suppose I could do it. But. <laughs> Hashtag audiologist. <laughs> <laughs> I I told you before we started recording how excited I was to talk with you because ever since you wrote back and told me you would wear your very best headset, I have been wanting, I have been struggling <laughs> with my own audi, audio component of all of this and how, was thinking about how like, you have so much knowledge about hearing and like, I assumed like audio equipment, although that's not necessarily 
what audiologists would be knowledgeable about, but um, that I thought like, wow, you're such, you're so far ahead of the game when it comes to like being able to do this Zoom telehealth, like, you know, platform on a regular basis. So I feel like I am pretty capable. Um, and <laughs> that's actually led to some really sort of more challenging situations. So the fact that I know how to do the troubleshooting and fix things, but the people that I'm working with or having Zoom conversations with might not necessarily want to take the time mm. to make things work as best as possible. Um, it has been a challenge. So for example, uh, gosh, I've had some really interesting Zoom conferences and meetings. Um, one of the really good examples um, was a Vermont Care Partners conference that was, um, they had to transfer from being an in-person conference to a Zoom conference in 24 hours. Wow. And they pulled it off amazingly well. And one of the things that they did that was really effective was when there were audio problems, like a speaker, when a presenter was um, causing a lot of feedback because they were had the volume on their phone and the volume on the computer both on and that was feeding back and creating squealing or echoes or whatever, they just, they didn't proceed until the audio was dealt with. Yeah. So they said, thanks everybody for your patience while we figure this out. This is new for all of us. And they had the technical support um, and they really made it work beautifully. Um, I just can't speak highly enough to the work that they all put in and they were prepared to do that work. So that was great. A challenging meeting that I had ironically was the first um, advisory council meeting for ASHA. So the American Speech Language Hearing Association has advisory councils. I'm a new advisory council representative for Vermont. Um, they did a kickoff meeting. That was by Zoom. There were people with their microphones not muted and they had no idea and the presenters, the organizers weren't muting the microphones. And we were sending messages saying like, hey, the host can actually mute anybody that they want, but the host of the meeting actually wasn't present in the meeting because they were like, oh, right. once we get set up, it'll be fine. We're just gonna, like I'll do, the, the host did the setup, but then wasn't managing the meeting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the idea that like Zoom is just plug and play and so you don't need to pay attention to it. Right. Isn't actually true. Right. Um, yeah. The next advisory council meeting we had, people were, I think participants had learned how important it was to mute their microphones when they weren't talking. Um, and they did some really amazing stuff with the Zoom. They had breakout rooms and that kind of mostly worked. Yeah. Although <laughs> in, we had two breakout sessions and in the morning I was in the Northeast group and in the afternoon I got somehow sent out to like Washington and I couldn't, <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, I'm in the wrong room. I'm going to move over. Like there was right. nobody to move me to a different room. They were just mm -hmm. like, just stay in the room you got. You, 
whatever room you ended up in, that's the people you're going to talk to. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate. I've definitely been in, um, not, not recently, but I think last April I was in a conference. I participated in a conference via Zoom that was happening from Chicago, and it was about voice and um, voice therapy and for speech therapists. And um, it was done so incredibly well. And it was the second or maybe the third time that they did it. Um, And so some of the glitches from the previous year, they had figured out a little better, but still like, so like what you were describing, if there were problems, they would pause everything, kind of figure it out and then continue. They were able to use the breakout rooms pretty well. And um, they even, you know, they were playing audio samples there and figured out a way to position whatever mic was being shared with the Zoom participants um, in a way where it was pretty good quality because they weren't videos that they could share with us electronically. So they had to play them there. Um, But they were so creative. It was really one of the most pleasant online like it was a three-day conference online it was yeah like eight to four for three days and um there were people present also so it was it was both and they were juggling like um incorporating on-site participants and zoom participants it was so well done it's really great so i i can i know that there's the potential for these things to work well and i actually when i tried to um communicate it to some people in the um, meeting where it went really well there were some people who were like it's fine it's good enough you know let's just keep going with the content Um, but they really did the organizers really did persist in getting everything working to me it's actually like a metaphor for hearing impairment (laughs) whether you have it when people have difficulty hearing some of the sounds of speech you it's all it's always possible to make sure that people can get the full message Mm -hmm. it just takes persistence and a willingness to work on it and the more urgent everything seems the less willing people are to work on it but actually that's when it becomes more important because the, I mean, so I think about now people I know who have disabilities where communication access is a problem, they're not getting as much information about things that they're really anxious about. You know, they want to know about COVID. They want to have conversations with their doctors. And I just feel frustrated that it's possible for them to be included. But I think but everybody needs to be willing to participate in the process. And that means people, so if we're talking right now about patients and providers, the providers have to be willing to do things or have, you know, get things set up properly so patients can have full access. But patients also have to be willing to work on the communication aspect. And a lot of older people, especially with hearing loss, just sort of say, it's too hard. I can't hear it. I'm not, you know, it's not important. Um, And I 
don't know how to get over my frustration with that yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been an audiologist for 20 years. I still don't know how to get over my <laughs> frustration when people are like, it's okay. I don't want to communicate with people. Right. I'm like, right. okay, but, but you're still in my office. So you're still telling me that you do want to communicate with people, but you don't want to do it by changing your position or using different equipment or mm -hmm. buying a better headset. You know, sometimes it really is as simple as, what is it? What is the tool you're trying to use? If you have a bad tool, it's not going to work very well. So. Right. It, it <laughs> um, there, you know, it remind what you were just describing reminded me of how, when you were starting, when you just started this conversation, how you were saying that you had that initial like period of reacting where you were like this feels like about my value as a member of an organization and you know I sometimes wonder all right I mean not sometimes I've had lots of experiences professionally too where I I wonder whether that dissonance in how people are behaving and what they're saying is because they don't feel valued and there's not enough collective demonstration of yes we value you and we really want you to be able to hear and participate and communicate fully to help the individuals experiencing that advocate or feel comfortable accepting help or um, do something that feels a little harder when they know if they know like if they feel like other people don't really care or don't care you care because you're an audiologist, but who else cares? You know, that sort of well, philosophy. That is so interesting because it helps me understand a thing that happens in my clinic a lot in a real, in a slightly different way. So I will often have um, patients come to see me by themselves because the patient's spouse has said, you need to get your hearing taken care of. Right. And I give everybody tips on good communication strategies, but when it's the spouse that's saying you need to get your hearing taken care of because it's bothering me, mm. often the person with hearing loss is feeling hurt and frustrated because the spouse isn't willing to come into the same room to have a conversation or make yeah. eye contact before they start talking. So the person with hearing loss is feeling sort of undervalued and hurt. And I hadn't really, I have known that to be true, but I hadn't really connected it with this next little piece until you said what you just said. I have coached the person with hearing loss instead of saying what or huh, um, to, to go to the person that they wanna hear and say, hey, what you have to say is really important to me would you be willing to talk to me face to face? Right. And I teach them that that's about the person who, that's about the spouse, you know, that's mm -hmm. about letting them, you know, helping them feel important and like they're valued. But I hadn't thought really about um, the impact on the person with hearing loss in terms of, really feeling like they're undervalued in the partnership before that even mm. starts. Mm -hmm. And of course I know that like intellectually and, you know, when I'm talking one-on-one -on -one with a 
with the person with hearing loss about how the hearing loss is impacting them. I can tell that impacts their sense of value, but I hadn't really thought about their sense of value in the relationship quite, the, quite in the same way. I'm not sure I'm communicating how the, my change of thinking has happened, but. Yeah. Um, well, no, that makes sense. You know, you're seeing that this person is struggling to connect with their partner and that that is connected somehow to their hearing loss and you're giving them potentially other things too, but you know, you're giving them strategies to be able to improve the communication, their ability to communicate with their partner from their perspective, since they're the one that you have access to. Yeah. And, and that maybe there's, um, it extends or connects into like just their value in the relationship, not just their value as a communicator. And those two things are hard. I mean, they're so enmeshed, I think, especially if you're working primarily with older individuals who, you know, maybe have longer relationships with the people that they're struggling to communicate with just because they're older. Um, so they've known these people longer. I can see, you know, potentially, potentially there's new people that, that they're struggling to communicate with too, but I can see like working with someone who's a little older, has been in a relationship for a relatively long period of time. There's like decades of history predating hearing loss that are contributing to the communication challenges that, that um, are being reported to you, uh, but maybe not being addressed. <laughs> um, so comprehensively anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so, the more, um, the more opportunities I've had to work with individuals outside of, like as a speech therapist, outside of the educational setting, even it, within the educational setting, the more I feel like there's so much um, missing from there's so much focus that is overlooked uh, about how people actually relate to each other not just about you know their language development or their hearing ability or their you know after someone's had a stroke like how that affects their ability to communicate or after a brain injury you know there's there's like the person including all of that that I feel sometimes gets just in my field anyway it's it's really um I don't want to say rare but it's not as common as I feel like it needs to be for that to for the conversation to be more holistic more about the person that has these parts and less about the parts that happen to belong to a person um that's what I'm hearing that's what I'm thinking of when you're talking Yep. Yep. It is so important to think holistically. That's hard. Holistic is hard because it's everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the other hand, it's my, you know, of all the things that I enjoy thinking about, yeah. that's sort of like, I'm intrigued by the puzzle of human Mm -hmm. interaction mm -hmm. and existence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was actually thinking just before about um, 
you know, when you're talking about people who have decades of relationship experience and the communication challenges they're in. Um, my daughter the other day, I, oh, I, it was actually when I was thought I was going to be laid off. I was a little um, testy. Mm -hmm. I was a little testy. <laughs> Why? Why, Rocky? Why would you be? <laughs> and, and the next day, um, so then the way that I got the news that I was not being laid off, and in fact, that they wanted me to do extra work in the time that I was working, was my, I was at lunch, I, we were sitting around the lunch table um, when my boss called my phone and I sent it to voicemail because I just, I said, I just don't feel like hearing that I'm laid off right now. Mm -hmm. Like I just want to finish lunch first. Mm -hmm. So after she'd left a message, I went, I said, okay, everybody want to hear me getting laid off. And I played the message and it was the opposite. It was like, I have great news. We want you to do more things. And I got really cheerful and I, I, we, my daughter and I were talking about how the way that I was feeling impacted the way that I interacted with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, it's the people that we feel the most comfortable with that we're the most able to be ourselves with. But sometimes that means those are the people who we're more likely to, to harm mm -hmm. with our communications because we're we're less careful around those people. You know, the people we care about, we're less careful around. And mm -hmm. so when we're talking about the communication challenges, I think everybody does want to just have communication be easy. They don't want to mm -hmm. have to think about it all the time. And yet we've, <laughs> and yet I'm in the communication profession and I'm like, but why don't people want to think about it all the time? <laughs> But it's everywhere. Everyone is doing it. It's all the time. All why don't time. you? Why don't you always want to think about it? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I share that. Uh huh. I can relate. <laughs> there are so and many times. I, Go ahead. I know we're getting down to the the end of our planned time, but I really did also want to share back about um, headsets. In yeah. This time of COVID. Let's do it. Um. So right now the headset that I am using is a gaming headset that has a Zoom microphone on it and it's plugged into my laptop. Um, it is not a noise canceling headset. It actually mm. lets in sound from around so I can um, just better monitor what's going on mm -hmm. around me and make sure the, um, there's no noise that's gonna get in the way of the recording. That's why I chose these headphones, uh -huh. headset. Um, <laughs> My husband has worked from home actually for a long time. So he already had his setup all taken care of, except once the kids were home during the day. So I have a 16 year old and a 13 year old. Um, and they're mostly self-contained, like they didn't need a lot of attention when he was in meetings and stuff, but he almost immediately ordered a set of noise canceling headphones for himself. <laughs> And my daughter already has a pair of noise canceling headphones. And yes, my son already had a pair of noise canceling headphones. So now we've got four people. And I have what I call um, sound occluding headphones. So the, the earphones fit snugly enough into my uh, ears that I don't hear what's going around in the environment. 
Mm -hmm. So we all have these ways of connecting to our technology when we're in physical proximity, but acoustically, it's actually kind of like quiet around here because there's no music playing, there's no nothing. Like we're all in these isolated little worlds in our own wow. house. And it's, we've actually had to institute um, one, I have made it one hour a day of <laughs> like technology free time. Like yeah. the internet just gets turned off from six to seven or 6.30 to 7.30. And that's when we start making dinner and do some other things. And I, before all this, my son would have had a fit over a limitation on technology in the evening. He didn't even really, he was like, no way. But that was about, but he, he was like, <laughs> he had to sort of fight it for show. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Just, you know, just to keep that level of resistance. Just to make sure that we knew that it was a hardship on him not to have 24-7 access to technology. Actually, the internet also turns off when our young people should be sleeping. So mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that's on a timer. But um, yeah, they, wow. need, they need real human interaction. Um, and it's been hard to make that transition to being back in the real world with each other but yeah. so worth it but even I've been he, at some points I've been like maybe I'd rather be on my phone <laughs> even though I'm the one who said that we had to have no, no technology but <laughs> it's so strange to be um on the technology so much at home and because before the schools closed I was traveling to different places and working in a couple different settings and I was using my computer and I'd use it like in the evenings to write things or, you know, yeah, mostly to write things. Um, but I definitely was not on my computer interacting with people the way I am now. And now it's like, you know, my apartment's not very big. So it's like a corner in our living room. That's where I'm working from. And so when I, stop working quote unquote because <laughs> I realized you, no one can hear my air quotes um that <laughs> I'm doing air quotes but people <laughs> listening aren't gonna see those um I kind of forgot about the people listening I know. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that that they are uh, that I um it's like I almost need to like have a big box to put over the whole area because it's just then I want to use my computer to do the things that I want to do, like watch Netflix or email a friend or research what headphones to buy. <laughs> and, you know, it's, there's, I feel a lot of resistance. Like I don't want to be on the computer more. And, and so trying to find that balance for myself about, you know, working from home and not just working on the computer, but interacting with people on the computer is new for me. Like I, I don't, I yeah. didn't get this degree of Zooming ever. <laughs> no. And I really appreciate my time away from people since I interact with so many people during the day normally. Um, and then to only have one other person to interact with on a regular basis in person is lovely and also a challenge because, you know, we're also, you know, you have at least three other people <laughs> that you can choose from 
Um, so that's an interesting dynamic that we've been trying to navigate is how much is too much of, of anything. Even the cats are like, really? You want to sit next to me again? Like, <laughs> I thought we were done with that for today. <laughs> you, met, you met my human quota. Like, <laughs> but it is, really, it is really funny to like recognize that. So like the, the put, like, I don't feel a need to put any limits on my technology use because I just don't want to use it after a certain amount of time. Um, gotcha like what your son maybe was experiencing like well it's not a big deal he's he's been on you know on some device probably for a lot of the day doing stuff so if it doesn't happen for an hour it's okay yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he I I don't know if it's from anxiety or true enjoyment but I do um I think that he would stay watch he would be watching YouTube or anime or playing video games truly 24/7 I think yeah. if we didn't have restrictions um and he always has enjoyed it but I think I felt like there was maybe even an uptick of it when when the kids were told that they had to stay home because of COVID-19 because I, I really do think it was one of his ways of managing anxiety. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> my daughter would just weep. My son will play video games. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny because I don't have any video games. And when they first canceled schools for like the initial kind of two or three week span, I was like, I said to my partner, I was like, Aaron, we, what are, we don't have video games. That's what everyone else is doing. What are we going to do? <laughs> like, we don't have a TV. Like, what if the internet stops working? We won't be able to do, like, these are not things that are important to me at all. But these are the things that my brain was like, well, everyone, that's what other people are doing. So get, get prepared. I don't know. Yeah, there is so, like, we don't, it's everybody's figuring out what's important yeah. to them and how they want to be in the world. Yeah. For sure. or another. Oh, well, um, I think I mentioned to you before we started that one of the other questions I've been asking people is just about how they're sort of supporting themselves and how they are thinking about the ways they support other people. And I, the, the reason that I was thinking about this is because I, I, when I listen to people talk about how they're managing their stress or anxiety about being home or changes to their work situations, there's like this push to be positive and push to like, you know, reframe things in a really specific way, like in an uplifting way, like see the bright side of things. And I don't, I sometimes am more interested in like the other kinds of reframing. Like how are you reframing a struggle to make it manageable, but not necessarily sugarcoat things or make, yeah. you know, see the bright side. And in my mind, somehow that's connected to how we sort of support ourselves. Cause sometimes um, that push to like 
from others to see the positives feels like, you know, quote unquote support, you know, um, but it really it isn't always. So I started asking people ways that they really are supporting themselves and and maybe maybe they're not interacting with other people and that is supportive or you know so if you have any thoughts about that so the um a lucky thing happened to me in that right before um we knew anything about covid-19 i happened to participate in a small group sort of workshop just mm -hmm. an hour or two uh, about prayer and the story of how I ended up in that workshop is too long for this right now <laughs> um, but it was kind of a, it was kind of a funny place for me to land because I don't um, really have very much experience with prayer mm -hmm. um, I do have some experience with meditation and i thought before this workshop that meditation and prayer are really kind of the same thing but i have a different understanding now that's been helpful in supporting me during this time and with meditation i always thought that was just about my experience with meditation is sort of letting the thoughts come and go and just being present with what is here in the moment mm -hmm. and accepting that and in the workshop on prayer, we actually, there were a couple different steps. And the first step was sort of setting the stage and getting settled into the space, which is, you know, I was like, yep, this is like meditation. Mm -hmm. And the second step was um, appealing to a higher power. And because I'm Unitarian, we all got to decide what our um, wording for high, our higher power would be so for mm -hmm. me it actually was a universal light that was what felt true at the time and what I've continued using over the past few weeks mm -hmm. um, then of course there was a moment for gratitude you know, where we could express what we were thankful for um, and then were the two steps that have never been part of my meditation and that have been really helpful. And those were um, sort of a, what was the wording we used? Um, there was a, a repent, repentance is the word that's coming to my mind. I know that's not the thing that we talked about in the workshop, but basically there was a moment for acknowledging what we have done wrong or what we're disappointed in ourselves about. Mm -hmm. And then a, a fourth step of um, request, like asking. Um, those two last steps have never been part of my meditation process. Yeah. Um, but I found that allowing for a time of regret or a time of sadness mm -hmm. and also a time for imagining like what we like a time for asking for support you know what would i like to be different how would i like yeah. you know, what do i need help with what's hard um incorporating those into the 
into what is essentially a meditative process felt to me much more whole. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just focused on acceptance. There was a, it was acknowledging that I might have regret and it was acknowledging that I might um, be dealing with hard things. And so I, I don't know that I can say that I've actually been praying a lot because like I said, my relationship with prayer before this workshop was a little bit complicated. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But even just acknowledging the reality of not just acceptance, but like, it's okay to, there's, there, the part of the human experience is gratitude and excitement and optimism and also fear and sorrow and regret and that's real and i don't and we and i don't need to make myself pretend that i can't feel those things so that's <laughs> i will i will email you next week and let you know if i have been <laughs> after verbalizing how prayer <laughs> Prayer-like behavior has been helpful. Have I actually increased my participation in prayer-like behavior in the next <laughs> week? I'll be interested to see. <laughs> <laughs> that I I can I can see why that inclusion of sort of acknowledgement of maybe more of challenging emotions and the also the last piece that you mentioned about like identifying where you could use help or requesting some help or just recognizing that there's there's like space to not have to do everything on your own um that those are two areas that uh, they really do, I think, require like a little bit more like sinking in to things. Are you raising your hand? I am. Okay. <laughs> to, give you, to, to give you a nonverbal cue, I thought we could make a more seamless transition. It's okay. I had actually closed my eyes because I was like looking up. Yep. I didn't even see you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no rush. Um, <laughs> The the other piece of um, of what Anne the Lamott has a book called Help Thanks Wow, mm -hmm. um, and the the piece about help is you know it's not just about asking for support. It's also it was also for me a way of checking in around what is really important. Mm. So I could imagine including in a prayer like help me to find clarity help me to be strong help me to do this really hard thing but i would not include in prayer like help me with this project <laughs> like uh -huh. you know like there there are things that are just not that important and somehow thinking about it from a through the lens of prayer Mm. It's like, oh yeah, this is a thing that's not going to matter six months from now. Mm -hmm. like, there mm -hmm. are things that are important to me, like, you know, that even might be project related kind of things, like sure. help me to help me make sure 
that the people who need help can have access to it. Mm-hmm. That might be included in prayer, but like, help me achieve all the targets of this telemedicine project. <laughs> like that's, it keeps, it keeps the focus on the big picture. And I think yeah. that is maybe what's most important for me in this time is the, you know, there's so many different ways that we can be in the world, but what's the big picture? It's our relationships with our family. It's contributing value to the world. And for me, it's about helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been the hardest thing about having the clinic shut down is mm-hmm. I really am not interacting with patients at all. And I, it's, I just miss it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, and it's important for me to have learned that because I've been talking about moving into maybe more of a research role or more of a quality role. And knowing like, oh, yeah, if I don't have contact with patients, it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. Even when I'm working on really important stuff, it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like it matters if I can't see the person who's helped by it. Right. That's important for me to know about myself for my career. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's been a, (laughs) how am I reframing things? I'm reframing all the things all the time. all like even more now than ever before. <laughs> I was about to say I my sense of you is that that is something you do regularly. Like that is a process I've heard whether or not you identify it as that or or not like in our past conversations that's a aspect of how you evaluate your, your daily life and or that I've observed anyway. And um, that was one of the reasons I was so excited to talk with you because I knew that, that you would have things to contribute. And I, I think actually I'm always, I'm doing that processing, um, but it's when we get pushed to the edges of our mm-hmm. experiences that we learn the most about what, that we learn the most period. Yeah. And so I think, a challenge for us uh, in community right now is we're all getting pushed to our edges. And so we're all having to choose to either learn stuff about ourselves and the way we are in the world or, you know, withdraw and play video games. (laughs) um, And the fact that we're all doing this sort of simultaneously makes it, I think, hard. I think it's it's just everybody is doing this hard work um, and it makes it hard to, it's probably good that we're all locked in our houses. And <laughs> with people. We might be, we might be causing harm to one another while we're like, I need to focus on me right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear you. I think they're, they're definitely that I was describing it to someone the other day about like those areas on the edges, the the area where edges of things meet that may never have met before is where so many sort of surprising magical things emerge from. And, um, and not even, not necessarily in a like productive, like, this will move society forward kind of way. Sometimes it's, it's like heavy, scary things that emerge from those places, but that is that I can feel both of those things, like having that space to interact with 
myself in a new space definitely brings up um, like perspectives that I haven't necessarily embraced and explored fully because there have been things to distract me or you know work to There's do work to be done yes <laughs> right work it definitely this whole period of time is um I all I already was evaluating like my relationship with work generally and this really has reinforced a lot of those thoughts that I was having in the around the need to reevaluate a relationship so among other things, but. Um, so what are you doing to support yourself and support others during this time? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I did when I learned that we were going to be probably home for a long time is signed up for a subscription to learn Vietnamese online. Um, Cause I love languages and I love learning languages and I love traveling. And this seems like an ideal time to learn a new language so that I can use it later and travel somewhere. And I've been wanting to learn Vietnamese for a while. So that's something I find really nourishing. And um, I also, I think this, this podcast idea you know, is a little bit out of character for me to think like, oh, I want to talk with a lot of people every day, new people. <laughs> and here, and like, <laughs> um, and, and I'm always a little surprised when I come up, when there's an idea that like comes from inside my brain, that another part of my brain is like, what exactly are you thinking? And <laughs> I've learned to try and embrace those those ideas because those are the areas where there's so much growth for me and like value somehow for other people just the opportunity to connect the invitation to share sometimes I think is more valuable than whether or not anyone does share um and <laughs> I just it does sort of entertain me too that it's like who thought of this all right that was that was me <laughs> thank you me <laughs> um I think I've I've also been like on a on a more like daily sort of level trying to find more space just for myself and to really create a container for doing nothing, which is something I've been working on for a while and is easier to do now because there are fewer like opportunities to escape that space and go somewhere and do something. Um, but I, I know when I spend time in a space of, <laughs> this sounds so philosophical, in a space of nothingness, that there's a lot that comes to the surface for me and those are those are the times where a lot of creative ideas emerge and the clarity around my sort of sense of what I value and what I value less mm -hmm. um and also sometimes how all those pieces fit together 
you know, you've known me a while, you know that I like to travel and I have this sort of wandering, um, like interest and kind of wandering beyond our local sort of life. And I always have, that's something I've so deeply been connected to is that experiencing other places, experiencing other kinds of lives. Um, and that often is tied to a lot of these things in ways that like, I, I don't know where that comes from. So it's, I enjoy that experience of creating the space for things to kind of, sh kind of show me how they're connected. Um, and I, it's often a place where sort of surprises emerge. Mm. I like surprises. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been cooking a lot too. I love cooking and I just, um, I really, what it is, I love eating. And it just so happens that if you cook the food, there's more of it to eat. And so <laughs> I've really been enjoying that and cooking things that I love to eat uh, instead of just like what's fast and what's available because um, I got home late from work and have to eat because I'm starving. <laughs> so, yep, I have also enjoyed our more leisurely meals as a both from a cooking and an eating standpoint mm -hmm. um, and more frequent family meals. Mm -hmm. So like we have, if I'm at home, we have lunch together and um, yeah. Um, and making, oh, I'll tell you my very sad, sad story. <laughs> I make, I've gotten, I'm really enjoying making breakfast for myself and coffee at home. So my routine before all of this happened was that I would drop my daughter off at the high school and then drive back through town, park outside Capitol Grounds and get myself a cup of coffee that somebody else made for me, which I really enjoyed as a, just a pause before starting my work day. It mm -hmm. was just a treat that I really looked forward to. Um, and so instead now I'm making um, coffee. My husband makes coffee in a machine, you know, like a regular coffee machine pot thing. For some reason, I cannot seem to make a decent cup of coffee using our coffee machine. Uh -huh. My husband has literally watched me like do exactly the same. He's like, okay, you make it and I'll tell you what you're doing that's wrong or different because it always tastes terrible when I make it. He's like, you did all the same things. I don't know why it's not. <laughs> It doesn't, it's not that it doesn't come out of the machine. It just tastes terrible and I have no idea why. But if I grind the beans and put them in a little filter that sits in a special single cup holder above my coffee mug, I make what's called a pour over. Mm -hmm. Air my throat again like an audiologist. Hold on. Okay. Um, so I'll make, so every morning I've been making myself a pour over. And it's, I've got a whole little ritual and it's wonderful. This morning I was trying to do it quickly before having a Zoom meeting that was a staff meeting and my filter somehow broke. I don't even know how this happened. So basically all the coffee grounds just poured down into my cup and I like 
<laughs> could barely function. And that is truly the end of my story. The only punchline <laughs> is my, my coffee didn't work this morning. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point of my story. Oh. But somehow the way that it didn't work this morning, like I've got this whole little ritual and my ritual didn't work this morning almost made me feel like I couldn't go through with the rest of my day but yes I understand that (laughs) if the initial ritual doesn't work the rest of the day what is left just cancel it (laughs) just cancel it and actually I have had more connectivity problems than I can even tell you about I had to hang up uh, with my organization's Mm. IT department um yeah, I have no, uh, we'll get that straightened out eventually, but they, yeah. oh my gosh, I kind of want to tell you about that too, because it's name related. My, my email address has had my legal name the whole time that I've worked for the medical center. Mm. And that's never been an issue because I don't have that much communication with people by email, but mm-hmm. now that we're logging into Skype and logging into Zoom and logging into everything and it's showing my given name instead of my preferred name it's just confusing to people and I so I mentioned just offhandedly when I was in an IT call for something else I said hey is there a way to get my name to display properly and they said oh I'll find out and now (laughs) when I went to log in again um, apparently they've changed my email address so I can't get into anything and I don't know if emails that are sent to my old email address are still working or if they just deleted the old one and gave so like which is totally not going to work if they've deleted the email address that everybody has been using for me for 16 years (laughs) that's not going to work it's on my business cards like (laughs) so it's just the like the little details can get into can send us off on these like weird direction like I did not expect that my whole day was going to be just making sure that I could connect to my computer from home yeah it may turn out that that is what my work day is about (laughs) I think of those like those kinds of things as like the little swirls of like um like vines that grow have these little curly parts that like little offshoots that never really grow into anything but they're there and they make up like you know, the substance around all the things that do grow into something. Mm. That's what I pictured. <laughs> Just. The, it's funny. I have a similar metaphor in my brain that I refer to a lot, actually. Um, there's a stream that I remember from 30 years ago, and you can imagine it just the same as I can. It's, it's you know, not very deep, but the rocks in it are all different colors and they're all smoothed by years of being in the river and um, the sunlight is just filtering through the green leaves a little bit and creating that sort of golden mesmerizing glow. Um, In contrast with that, you know, sometimes we want things to be efficient Mm. and if things were efficient, they would be like ductwork, you know, smooth and wide and the same width and same everywhere and just you know the water can flow right down but I don't actually want to live in a world that is just efficient I want to live in a world that's beautiful so 
whenever I start to feel frustrated that things aren't efficient, I always sort of put myself into that dappled forest river space and think, do I I want this or do I want to live in ductwork? I want this. We just have to keep going. (laughs) Oh, Rocky, that reminds me of, um, I started this, um, it's like, a Yale course on happiness that's free right now. It's but it's called the science of well-being, and one of the things that they have everyone do when they start the class is take all these different like, like kind of personality assessments of sorts, you know. And and one of them looks at like how you different ways of describing happiness is what ultimately it rates is like your happiness in rel- in various domains of your life. But it asks you questions like, you know, do you make decisions? Do you choose things based on what's beautiful or what's efficient? And when you said that, I was like, beautiful, beautiful. I like efficiency too. But beauty seems to trump that apparently. Well, it all depends on context, right? It does. It does. (laughs) But overall in my life, if I had to choose like which one I would want more of, I would, I, I didn't realize until I took that little survey, which one I would choose more. And that, that is a good, even though I'm the one that brought it up, I'm like, oh, I must've brought it up. Cause I need to be reminded of that. Cause right now I'm working, I'm working on workflows and that's an yeah. efficiency puzzle. And I love an efficiency puzzle, but mm-hmm. if I had to make a choice between, you know, would I, would I, would I trade all of my challenging, imperfect coworkers for robots? No, nope, I wouldn't. <laughs> would you do your, your like workflows in color with lots of like special symbols and like, this is, this is, like this is what I think of, <laughs> you know, I've had conversations with people about like how much I love to make things in Excel and like organize information. And I realized it's not so much because, I mean, I do appreciate the efficiency piece and I like to work out the puzzle like you're talking about. But what I really like is color coding and like the ability to create like these graphic images where if you took away all the symbols after you created whatever it is you're creating, you'd be left with like this totally original piece of art created from color blocks <laughs> you get, we're gonna have to turn this into like a two-part episode because okay. it's true. I, uh, I actually um one of the challenges of COVID is I've been I do go into the hospital and so I've been trying not to bring any extra objects so like even going as far as like leaving my coat and my purse at home like mm-hmm. I just need my keys to get in and that's changed my workflow in how, like how I'm interacting with the things that I'm working on because I always used to have my notebook with me mm-hmm. and I would do I mean I'll use computer tools when I need them but I actually am more likely to draw an image in my notebook or um you know t- take a big piece of paper or a bunch of sticky notes or like I'm a very, like I want to do my problem solving as t- with as much tactile mm-hmm, involvement mm-hmm. as possible and I'm not necessarily looking for beautiful but I'm looking for like well 
Now I do draw in my notebook sometimes and I do make it a little bit more fancy schmancy than it technically needs to be. <laughs> um, but now trying to do all of my work so that I can access it electronically from wherever I am without having to have any extra devices mm. has, um, I'm actually thinking about trying, I'm going to today look for some trainings or something on how to use OneNote because it mm -hmm. seems like OneNote might let me do some of the things that I'm used to, but I have never used it before. So mm -hmm. figuring out the controls and like how to do it. <laughs> Like, yeah, let's add one more thing to my list of things to learn. <laughs> I do not understand how people say they are bored in this time of COVID-19. I am like the opposite of bored. Like, I have to learn <laughs> how to live a whole new life and use all new tools. <laughs> that was one of the first things you said to me when we got on this call was, there's so much to learn. <laughs> <laughs> as, you, as you walked away and I was like, what are, what are we learning? What are you going to get? <laughs> <laughs> well, Rocky, maybe that's a good place for us to pause. And um, I absolutely agree. I think part two sounds wonderful. So we'll, <laughs> I'll accumulate some more, <laughs> some more thoughts to share. Because I do think it's, it's so beneficial. Like it's really nourishing for me to connect with people who think similarly or not, but just to have like the opportunity to hear those types of things that you were sharing all of your stories and to remember like all right everyone is accumulating these like sort of bizarre experiences right now I kind of I like I find that really it's creating something in my it's like there's a visual that's under construction and yeah that's that's all I can say about it so Thank you. Well, so and I can't wait to listen to your other conversations that you're having with people because I always enjoy listening in on your conversations. <laughs> They'll be, I believe I'm going to start posting them. So today is Friday, April 3rd. I think tomorrow is when I'm going to start releasing them one a day, I think. <laughs> so if you know of anyone else who's interested, feel free to send them my way and it's a really eclectic mix. I mean, it's like representative of just people. There's no particular requirement to be or do anything in particular, just other than a person. Sweet. So thank you so much. Thanks for all you do. <laughs>